Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We are here to the Monday live cast. We've got the full full gamut of players here. We got Drew, we've got Eric, and we've got Paul. Today we've got a lot to talk about, so let's just get right into it. This is your opportunity to chat with us. Jump in that chat. We'll ask answer as many questions as we can. This is our Inside Texas live feed sponsored by InsideTexas.com. Let's just get into the fun stuff straight out of the gates. We've got the return of Coach Akina. Now, Drew, this was uh, this was a coach. You were under his charge. What does this What does this mean to Texas having Akina back? There's a standard that is back. Um, one thing we we got to experience with Coach Akina was him always having a standard and coaching to a standard. And so the fact that he had multiple groupings, not just one or two players throughout his tenure, but multiple groupings of players that played to a standard of excellence, um, he knows what that looks like. Um, and, and so I, I really appreciate just his presence being back in the building will raise that standard. Uh, he'll be able to challenge um, our, our DB coaches, uh, both, both Terry Joseph and, and Blake Gideon, just on the way that they're coaching through things, the way they're addressing things, and really the way that they're allowing certain things to slip through the cracks. Um, and so there's just a level of detail that goes into that, that I know he coaches to that standard. Um, and I've been sitting in a room with him to where, um, you know, he'll tell like a Michael Huff. OK, Michael, you, you're doing this really well now. Now you've graduated. Let's go to the next level. And he just coaches to a different level. He continues to press and press and press and raise the standard. Once you show you're proficient, he's going to challenge you in the next way and then the next way. And so I think the reason why this is going to be critical for us is because we, we're recruiting now to a level where he, he's proven that. Uh, he's taken elite talent and, 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 and taken it to and stretched it as far as it can go. And so now that we're starting to recruit guys that have elite talent, uh, I don't feel like we'll have a ceiling on what we can accomplish with these players because we have, you know, eyes and ears and over 35, almost 40 years of coaching uh, through different generations and different schemes uh, in Coach Aquina that, that is going to make sure that if the standard is not being met, he can speak to it. So I'm just really excited to have him back in the building. And Coach Aquino was very famous for recruiting a very specific type of DB. I mean, he you had to do man coverage. There was no, no two ways about it. If you couldn't cover man, you weren't on his team. And he seemed to work almost from the outside in and, and develop players almost at corner first before moving them to safety. Do you think in any way that's going to affect the type of players we go after with, with PK's philosophy? I mean, frankly, and I mean, and you're talking to a guy who came in um, as, as a player who I played multiple positions in high school, but the, the idea was for me to start at safety. Uh, I got in and I was at safety for first two games of the season, but then I moved to running back my freshman year. I moved back to safety that spring. <laughs> However, I spun down the linebacker because there was a standard at DB. Frankly, I had a great spring at safety. Uh, however, my best opportunity to play and add value was at linebacker. Why was that? It's because there is a standard for coverage. Uh, you have to be great in coverage on slots, on receivers, not just tight ends. Uh, he can coach you to physicality. He can coach you through scheme. He can coach you on how to leverage blocks. One thing that he can't coach you on is DNA. And he can take various guys of varying various traits and coach them to have strong coverage skills based on the God-given DNA that they have. And so 
Uh, for a guy like me, I saw what the standard was for him. Um, I was 6'1", 215. Uh, th- th- I couldn't cover like Huff because there was a standard. Uh, sure. However, I was able to spin down and do other things, but also really got to experience a deep group of guys uh, who brought that standard and they rotated from corner to safety and they did multiple things um, throughout uh, our time there on ca- on campus. So um, that that is that is something I hope we continue to see uh, because you have to know how to cover to play safety. And we, we've seen that. We've experienced what happens when we don't have that in place. Yeah, absolutely. And as you alluded to earlier, the the young coaches, I'm specifically thinking of Gideon here, that's going to have an opportunity to just be in that brain trust is really going to uh, to benefit him. Let's talk Isaiah Bond. Paul, we've got an absolute stud that's just coming in here. What, what are you seeing with, with Bond and what he's bringing to the game? Bond, Isaiah Bond. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan. I reviewed some of his film and I watched it more towards the end of the season. And one thing you'll notice is that the Alabama game was the Alabama team was a little bit inefficient throwing the ball. They could throw it deep and they could throw it short, but they didn't really have the ability to do a lot in the intermediate game. And that's the part that I think bond wants developed and he needs to get on film and that's obviously what Texas will provide with Quinn Ewers because that's what he specializes in. So I think that's going to be very helpful. I think he's a good fit. He's also fast. I know everyone's fast out there. He's fast, fast, fast. I mean, this is a sub 10, 500 meters guy in high school. It translates to football speed. Uh, his wiggle is okay uh, for his speed. He's he's not, uh, you know, necessarily breaking ankles out there. But his pure speed is so good, and he's actually pretty tough. He's a skinny guy, and he runs, but he's tough. He's a football player. He blocks if you watch him on on plays where he's not getting the ball. So I liked all that. And near the end of the year, uh, I thought he raised his level a little bit. So this is his third year that will be with Texas in in 2024. I think it's going to be a contract year. I think his intention is to go to the NFL. And if you look at his progression – I think he's a guy who's still getting better, and I think we haven't even seen close to his best football. Uh, so I'm very excited about him. He could play multiple positions. Uh, I'm noticing some questions and thoughts in the chat about, you know, what position does he play? And, you know, Ian might get more into that. Sark, with his wide receivers, he could be somewhat positionless if he's just trying to get the best guys on the field. So I wouldn't really sweat it. He We don't have these hidebound sort of the X receiver needs to look like this and uh, he just gets guys out there who threaten the defense and then he creates plays and playmaking opportunities for him. Uh, Bond is going to be a great guy on this, in this offense. I think he'd be very complimentary to the other things that the other receivers do well. Great. Thank you, Eric. So we we've talked, uh, we're getting a lot in the chat here specifically to do with, uh, with Arizona and our recent linebackers coach. What, what are you hearing in terms of, uh, in terms of Nason heading over there, what what is what seems to be the uh, the running opinion there? Well, I mean, he's getting the internal push from his ex players, and you see that all the time. You see, you've seen it uh, with a lot of head coaches that are, are coordinators or head coaches that have moved on elsewhere, or the head coach is fired mid season, and the interim comes in and does a good job, and the and the team rallies around him. Uh, but no no athletic director worth his salt is going to listen to the players. You have to make the decision with a lot lot more considerations than just emotion. Uh, so those players are going to have an emotion, emotional tie to them, but that's not how you how you make sound, rational decisions. I'm not sure that Nansen's on the short list to be a head coach at this time. I think he probably needs a little more seasoning. 
before you start seeing more uh, schools coming around and kicking the tires. And I think that's part of why he moved to Texas uh, was to kind of, uh, you know, pick up the pick up from where he was with Sark at, at USC, where Sark was on this on this trend line uh, skyrocketing upwards before it got derailed. I think Nansen's catching on that star again and going to ride it up and learn as much as he can uh, from from Steve Sarkeesian, somebody who's really at the forefront of this new climate. Uh, there's really not anybody better to learn from in the NIL era than uh, than Sark. So I don't I don't think Nansen's going to be a key target for them, and I'm not sure he'd be looking to leave. Uh, anyways, I think he's thinking uh, long term about his career. Uh, and Arizona is not the most uh, seductive place to be coaching right now. I'm surprised Jed Fish was able to do uh, as well as he did. And obviously he got out of there as quick as he could. Uh, so I'm not sure. I, I think Nansen will, will remain with Texas. Part of that could be because I think he wants to be there. But part of that, I don't think that he's going to be, uh, you know, one of the top two or three uh, targets for him. We're getting uh we've got a nice super chat here from Justin Yarbrough. So what any updates that you can provide? I know that on InsideTexas.com, you've been following this very, very closely and have alluded to uh, a name being established for our new D-line coach. Is there anything more you can reveal right now, or, or where are we in that process? You know, I wish I had that name. Um, they're, they're very tight-lipped on it. I think they maybe were a little upset behind the scenes that, that Nansen's name got out uh, when it did, or, and maybe some other things are, are leaking out of the – out of the buildings. Um, all I was told was that he's on par with Bo Davis as a coach and that he's a very good person. They think that he'll uh, eventually become a good recruiter. I do think it, it probably most likely is an NFL guy, but, you know, I've spent a lot of sleepless nights just going through all these coaching trees, uh, Wikipedia rabbit holes for, you know, hours on end. And I don't know who it's going to be. I'm, I'm just as uh, intrigued as everybody else. So I wish I had this one on lock. I don't as of yet, uh, probably an NFL guy. And there's not gonna be much of a drop off on, on Bo Davis. I don't believe. We talked a little bit earlier about, obviously, we've got Isaiah Bond now coming from Alabama. Uh, Kendrick Blackshire is a is an RPM. You've got him at 65%. What is the, one of the things that you alluded to earlier was the idea of Alabama paying fair market value. They've lost the, the Saban supplement, as it were. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Justin actually had the Blackshire news, and he had the RPM at 65%. Yeah, I mean, Alabama's learning the hard way that they were getting away with paying uh, far less money because, you know, players were taking the longer view of, of things and making it transactional and signing up for uh, Nick Saban, thinking they'd be developed and, and uh, it was, it'd be worth it to take less uh, in the immediate term uh, to make more in the long term via second, second NFL contracts. Uh, now they're not getting that discount anymore. And, uh, you know, I think the more players leave, the more the, the, the players that remain um, – in the program are going to start hearing about, Hey, what else is out there? So yeah, they are a little bit behind the times on that. They're going to have to uh, shore up their uh, NIL in a, in a, in a hurry and, um, and, and make sure, <laughs> appreciate that, Breck, uh, and make sure that they can keep uh, as many players as they can in the fold. Uh, but yeah, they're going to, they're going to have to uh, get with the times. Ohio state clearly stepping up right now, keeping all those players out of the draft. I'm not sure how they're doing that. Uh, Texas is doing quite well. Georgia's doing fine. But Alabama's going to have to learn how to compete in this new environment in a way that they hadn't had to because they had Nick Saban uh, covering for them. Well, but another question here from Dave H. What is the – how are you guys feeling about either Nyblek or Eurosec? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I believe they'll probably get one of them. Um, Howard, Nyblek is not officially in the portal unless it happens in the last 15 minutes. Um, and so uh, if it's – you know, Eurosec's hoping he doesn't jump in because then you have uh, you have a little bit more scarcity between, you know, Georgia and Texas competing for Eurosec. If both of them come in, Texas will get a visit from both. Texas is getting a visit from Eurosec upcoming. Uh, I do think they're going to land one, which I don't know. What I'm more curious about is if Paul has watched them, which one he has a preference for, 
and if it has anything to do with need uh, as more opposed than overall talent. Like I think Nyblack's probably more naturally gifted, uh, but Eurosec might be the bigger need. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, actually, I watched Eurosec. Um, so he's been a multi-year starter at Stanford. He got injured this year. Before he got injured, he had like a 130-yard receiving game against Hawaii. And uh, he's – so I, I think that I'm seeing some characterizations of Nye Black as the receiving tight end and Eurosec as the more, you know, balanced tight end or, or receiver end blocker. It's not really accurate. It, it, they're both more on the receiving end. Eurosec's just the bigger body and he's more mature. Nye Black's pretty skinny. He's about – I think he's listed at 230. I'm not sure he's 230. I think he had some quarters in his pockets when he when he weighed. Um, but he could pennies. fly. It was pennies. We're talking Alabama here. Pennies. Good point. Good point. Yeah, that guy can fly. I mean, he's really fast. Um, there's more to being a tight end than just like your 40 time. And, and you know, obviously there's the feel for the position, the, the ability to settle in space. I mean, how many years did Jason Witten play in the NFL – once, you know, once all of his athleticism was gone, he just goes settle into a space yep. and, and, and and be productive being a veteran. Eurosex got some of that, but I, I, that also kind of undersells his athletic ability. Eurosex, like a 240-pound guy, about 6'4", about a 4'7 guy probably, maybe just under. Not slow. Uh, no. And he, he has a good catch radius. He's got great hands. And he adjusts to the ball in the air. Uh, you, you'll see him. He doesn't just beat linebackers. He clowns defensive backs in space, taking the ball from them. And it's that's an acquired skill, and it's impressive. Nye Black, you know, it's very difficult for him to have really gotten it used fully in that Alabama offense because of the things that I talked about before. They are throw short, throw deep, right? Dink and deep. And if you're a tight end, you're going to exist more in that intermediate area so Nye Black, um, you guys will recall, he had a nice catch against us. Uh, but like I said, he's inexperienced. Eurosec is the more complete player. And, and remember, Gunnar Helm, it, you know, Sark likes to run 12 personnel. He likes tight ends. Gunnar Helm is going to still be a, a significant part of this offense. So the question is what Sark values. Does he like the, the combo of Helm and Eurosec? Or does he like the Helm, the Helm and Nye Black? Or are we just going to take the one that says yes, because we kind of yeah. like them both and you know, we're not the only ones who get to choose here. Georgia has a pretty good proposition. Uh, good news is Ole Miss is all full on tight ends. They just took a second tight end to complement their existing guy. And so they're done there. And uh, they've been throwing around their weight with NIL. And uh, so fortunately, we don't have to deal with those guys. And uh, I, I think we end up with one of them. Um, my guess is it might be Eurosec, but that's not based on any information. It's just my gut. Nye Black, is given, Nye Black is given very good, uh, you know, signs behind the scenes. Obviously, he's doing a lot of homework on Texas, so we're, we're catching wind of that. Isaiah Bond is in his ear, obviously. Um, so I think it is more of a first-come, first-serve. If I could pick between the two, I'd probably go your section because I feel like the receiving weapons are are every bit as dynamic as you need to be, but we want to be able to run the ball as well as possible. And having Helm and your sec out there, it gives them a little bit uh, more force and more power in the run game, I believe. So. Uh, but beggars can't be choosers. That'd be a, either way you can get them is a big win for Texas. But I do think they'll get one, but Nye Black has to get in there first. Let's take a short break to uh, give it up for our sponsor, uh, Joe's Flapshack. Joe's Flapshack is uh, our sponsor for this week. If you guys get the chance to get pancakes, 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 please 
check out Joe's Flapjack. Thank you so much to Joe and his sponsorship. So let's talk about this, the roster. We've got 86 people on that roster right now, as uh, Space City Wrangler pointed out. What um, what are we thinking here? Somebody's got to move on. What are the thoughts with that, Eric? How are we handling our management of roster as it stands? Yeah, I mean the roster's in great shape right now. A couple holes to fill. A couple more people are going to go, but they, but they know that they'll have they don't have to be uh, under the limit anytime soon. So uh, they'll go through spring ball, and uh, you know there's always departures after spring, just like there are after the regular season. So. I'm not too worried about numbers. They're going to keep taking players as long as they're filling major needs. You know, nobody, they're not going to turn down a, a player that's going to benefit the program in 2024 for a player that's not going to hit the field till 2025 or 2026. So uh, I always tell people not to worry about numbers. I have told Space City Wrangler that 500 times probably. Right, uh, right, right. Here we are with my friend. Um, and so I, I wouldn't worry about numbers yet. Okay. Great. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to Jabbar Muhammad. I mean, we've got an opportunity to have a little bit of a family reunion here. What are you hearing there, Eric? Yeah, I would say 50-50 between Texas and Oregon. Oregon's going to make it uh, difficult, um, you know, and, you know, Muhammad's going to be sure about the next move. So he's going to visit both. He'll be at Texas Wednesday and Thursday. Um, he's going to deep dive into uh, track records of coaches development, um, the scheme, how he fits within the scheme. Um and, you know, he's going to make an informed decision. That family is smart. You know, I don't care. You know, there's different uh, aunts and uncles and cousins. He's the cousin of both Billy Walton and, of course, Malik Muhammad. Um, and that's a sharp family. So they're going to ask all the right questions. He's got a lot of insight within the program, having uh, his cousin Malik there. Um, so I think it's 50-50 right now. If I had to pick which school, I, I might lean towards Texas. But, you know, this one has a little bit uh, of meat left on the bone. Drew, if you had any insight into some of the earlier players, some of the things we're hearing, do you do you have any idea on any of the earlier enrollees that might that might have an opportunity to play? Oh, you're on mute, my friend. That's okay. Colin Simmons, they were. <laughs> that, that's what he said. Yes, give, give me give me edges and give me DBs. <laughs> Fair I'm, enough. I'm, I'm going to see those guys come in and compete. Uh, Colin Simmons, you know, last spring and going into the summer, we, we heard some flashes about Anthony Hill Jr. and just some things he was able to display um, just in spring ball to where they knew he could rush the passer. Um, frankly, I thought we'd see more of him in isolated. I, I thought we'd have him as a bona fide kind of rush in more often than I think we saw him as he developed later in the year. But that probably had more to do with just wanting to develop him as a player more so than just our need for him as a rush in. But for guys like Colin Simmons uh, who, who are coming in, um, yeah, I want to see those guys show up uh, and, and add some edge pressure, uh, but also the DBs. I want to see how that sorts itself out. Uh, we've rotated or we, I mean, we have a we have an empty room in certain in certain ways compared to last year when it comes to our safeties. But that's an exciting opportunity for some young guys to come in, compete, but also have some experienced talent uh, with Andrew Makuba coming in. Uh, and now with 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 uh, Jade Baron coming back, I'm just I'm, I'm excited to see what these DBs do, because uh, yeah, it's important to raise that standard uh, that that I was speaking about earlier. Uh, but also, if you look back historically through where Texas has had a good defensive backfield, there's it's never been one guy. Even though one guy may have won the award and gotten the accolades, he's always been partnered with a cornerback or partnered with a collection of cornerbacks. 
And so there's a there's a level of accountability that comes with having talented guys around you because um, you keep a certain standard that you put on film. But you also you make each other better. Uh, you show up together. You're watching film together. You're communicating together. And that raises the level that raises the bar. Uh, and in this new portal world, uh, with the guys being able to come in and, and get enrolled early out of high school, hopefully we can gather um, enough time together, enough chemistry together back there in defensive backfield this spring uh, for some guys to to come out ahead. Even if they're they're not going to play next year, we'd like to see uh, Xavier Phil Sami, the, the certain guys just come out ahead and be ready to contribute next year. Paul, uh, kind of staying with this topic and, and this question, with the transfer portal, with, with getting more seasoned players in, how much, how much, how important is it to have people straight out of the gate that can play? I know that sounds like a very dumb question, but we're starting to build that pipeline at Texas. And do you feel, do you feel like we're there yet? Or do you feel like we really need to start getting some young bucks on the field? It's a combination. And look, that's, it's a great question. Uh, look, one of the things that should have struck you about Michigan when they played Washington was two things. One, the cohesion that they had on their defense and, and the complexity that that cohesion allowed them to run. Uh, they were not running a college defense, if y'all didn't notice. That was a bunch of NFL stuff. And they they busted a couple of them early. And actually, I think that kind of they got a, they escaped on a one or two of them. But over the course of the game, they introduced a level of complexity that I don't think Washington or Penix had ever had seen. Uh, and then the second part is uh, they don't take their secondary guys off the field. So Michigan on defense, they rotated the heck out of the defensive line. None of those big defensive tackles played more than 40 snaps. Their linebackers and their secondary, those guys don't come off the field. And part of that is the cohesion and the ability to run your stuff. And it's kind of the, the other side of what Sark does with the receivers, right? Whatever you feel about it, you know, some people are like, Tom Herman plays too many guys. This is ridiculous. It's a crucial third and eight. Uh, in, a, in a key game, and we've got three guys out there who are effectively backups, you know. Uh, and then other people say, hey, Sark needs to play more guys. We're, we're just sticking to our core three. Well, the reason he sticks to that core three is they know the plays. They, they know what they're doing. He doesn't like busts. He doesn't like own goals, right? You know, that's what you're right. trying to limit in the college game more than anything. So I, I think that's a, a long, uh, broad answer to your to your question, which is, you want a combination of vitality and introducing the superior athletes, which sometimes are the younger guys, right? Frankly, right. if you're having a sea change as a program and you're bringing in better talent than what was there before. But at the same time, bringing in Andrew Makuba is very useful because he's both talented and experienced, right? Yeah. Bringing back Jade Barron is useful because he's both talented and experienced. So Jabbar Muhammad fits that bill. He's talented, and this would be, what, his fifth year? Uh, I think his fourth year as a starter, that's valuable. It's incredibly valuable in the college game. So don't underestimate that. It, it's hard for freshmen to get on the field because any holes that you would have traditionally are now filled by what, as Paul's alluding to, portal players. So it's even harder to get on the field for young, talented players than it ever was before in the portal era. You just don't have nearly as many holes. There's not nearly as many snaps. It takes somebody truly awesome like Anthony Hill to crack through or Derek Williams uh, not only is Derek Williams talented, but it was also at a position that was lacking elite talent. Colin Simmons is going to have a chance to play this year because he's that good. Uh, but for the most part, even a guy like Ryan Wingo now with Sark's shorter bench might not see as much playing time as he would have if they if they would have missed on Isaiah Bond. 
and this this leads right into one of the questions we've we've kind of all been thinking a little bit is you know we've had we have two you know outland trophy-esque players at the interior d line what is going to be the drop-off next year is there is there something is that should be a point of concern going into the sec a league known for their interior play well, they're going to have to play the defense uh, differently. They're going to have to retool some things. But, yeah, it's, it's a major loss to lose to Vondre Sweat, uh, the best defensive tackle in the country, and Byron Murphy wasn't far behind. So, of course, they're going to take a step back. That, that, that doesn't mean they're going to crater. They still have good depth. They still have Alfred Collins, who I anticipate uh, taking a big step, playing much more consistently. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not going to stop looking for a, for an addition through the portal. If it doesn't happen this window, they'll, they'll keep looking in the spring. So, you know, we're not exactly sure how the how the uh, defensive tackles are going to look going in. Dre Bledsoe, everybody thinks is going to take a big step. They are going to lack uh, lack some heft up front, some of that two gapping ability that they showed this year. They are going to stay take a step back in that regard. But but there's still a lot of talent in the ranks. They need to step up and have big springs though. Sadir Mitchell's a, a, another guy they're going to lean on that they they feel is going to be good. Uh, he's not going to he's not going to star next year, but he's going to take that next step towards stardom next year. And staying on the line, we we've got how do how do we feel about our projections to the next right tackle? Where where are we with that? Obviously, we're pretty solid on this experience line going into next year. But what are some of our projections? Certainly on those those perimeter linemen. Well, that's going to be Cam Williams versus Hayden Connor, most likely. Uh, you know, the Cam Williams is is uh, your most likely starter next year. He's got to get a little bit uh, tighter in shape, uh, quicker in his kick step. But now knowing that he's going to start, I think, you know, he was a lot more motivated heading into last year. And then he heard Christian Jones was coming back and they had to kind of smooth that over with him. Um, I think knowing that it's his time to shine, he's going to have a big spring. But, yeah, he's next up at right tackle. Going back a little bit, Drew, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about this idea of transfer players coming in. How how much does that affect the locker room? I, I know in your era, it was certainly not as ubiquitous as it is now, but when we got a you we got a new guy we got a new freshman class coming in how much of that obviously there's a there's an impetus there for those folks to assimilate themselves into the locker room but what what are you seeing just with with new people coming in how how do they adjust to the culture how does that work one of the key things i think that that sark has built into just the culture is transparency um, at the end of the day we want to play the best players. We have a an objective way of identifying who those players are. We watch film every day of every set, of every rep, of every practice. We monitor your effort at every practice. We monitor your workouts. We monitor how you show up off the field. We monitor how you show up in the classroom. So there's an objective way to determine who gets to play. And at the end of the day, if you're a young guy and you're recruited to come in and you were told you're going to be able to compete for a, a spot, that doesn't change because you bring in portal players. At the end of the day, you have to compete for that spot and you have to win out on that spot. So if you said, hey, I'm not afraid of competition, but you came with even an inkling of the idea that it would just be handed to you, the portal and being, being able to bring in guys who are going to raise that standard and challenge you it'll sniff out whether you're really up for it or not. And so while I think as, as fans, we, we get excited about recruits, we just have, you know, we just celebrated, hey, we had a great recruiting class. We're excited about these young guys. Now we're bringing in portal players who are going to compete against these guys. At the end of the day, we have to raise the standard. We have to make sure these guys understand what the standard are. That's what the standard is. And if they decide they want to transfer out because they haven't yet reached that standard, because that's the only way you're not going to touch the field is if you haven't won out. So if you aren't 
cut out for that or you do not want to stay around and get to the point where you can surpass these upperclassmen players, then then so be it. We'll continue to raise the bar. We'll continue to bring in players who want to compete and want to stand out within this roster. So I think that's just a cultural competitive nature of what we're doing here and what Sark is doing here. And I think it's led by transparency, led by competition, and um, may the best man win. We got to get great, man. What do you, Paul, if you had, obviously this weekend's been buck wild crazy. I mean, we're having a legend in Akine come back. We've signed some impact players. What What are your thoughts? What What are you seeing right now? Well, I, what I want to talk about is the, the excellent point Drew just made about competition. And this is something where we have to have a change in mindset as fans, right? As much as players, your roster is an aquarium, okay? It's a contained little little bunch of fish that you're competing with and you're okay. vying to be the top top fish in the school. The portal is the ocean. You're not just competing with your aquarium anymore. You're competing with the ocean of possibilities that the coaches can go out, go out and catch and throw into your aquarium with you. And suddenly you're not the top fish in the school. So Texas fans need to adjust to that mindset. The good news is Texas players and Texas coaches, they're on board with Drew. They understand the deal. Drew understood the deal when he was at Texas. So as Mac Brown used to say, don't complain, transfer. So I think we saw on the board, a lot of people are still adjusting to this. It's, it's, and not calling it out because recruiting is the lifeblood of your team and it's absolutely vital. And no one does recruiting better than inside Texas, but there's a recruiting follower mindset, which is I want to fill out my depth chart for 2026. Sure. It doesn't work that way. They have to win the job. They have to win it. And and they're not going to win it based on the rankings when they were a high school senior, they're going to win it on the field. And the great news is, the wonderful news I have to share with everyone is the players and the coaches are on board with Drew Kelsey. And the fans are going to have to adjust to that mindset of competition every day, ruthlessly being graded. And by the way, not many of us live in a world like that. That's why you've got to respect these athletes because we don't live that way. I mean, most of us, you know, that's probably not the grind of our jobs day to day. Eric's on here, so I'm going to say that's how I live. But <laughs> You know, the truth is we do have to make a little bit of an adjustment and it's not the aquarium anymore. It's the ocean. And that's who you're competing against. So something to think about. Yeah, they're not. When they recruit and and land a class, they're not thinking that all these guys are going to stay. They're they're thinking they're going to raise the competition within the program. They're going to keep the best ones. So Texas is going to keep keep the best players and make room to bring in more competition, more of the best players. So losing players to competition is not a bad thing necessarily because they're not losing the good players. And with hey, that, and I, and, yeah, quickly? sure. Absolutely. Great group in the chat. Lively conversation. A bunch of you are watching. There's not enough likes on here. You guys <laughs> need to like, go down, click that thumbs up, make sure you like. And if you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button. Going on Inside Texas and asking when the next thing is coming is crazy because there's a feature called subscribe that you can hit and it will just send it straight to you and you'll know. And we've got, we have a schedule coming. You're going to, we're going to have awesome shows, awesome content, but we need you guys to do your part, like subscribe, be in the comments, talk. And frankly, the Christmas season ain't over. 
If you want, if you got some friends who have bad takes all the time about Texas football, get them introduced to this this uh, show, and, and their takes are going to improve. Thank you so much for doing uh, my job. I really appreciate that. I've been doing it very poorly, uh, as was just demonstrated there. So thank you once again. Let's talk about really quickly as people are subscribing. Thank you, Paul. What what portal player in this very short time that we've had here do you see making the most impact immediately? Um, let me see. Jeez. Uh I mean, retaining Alfred Collins was bigger than any portal player. Uh, sure. Retaining Janae Barron is right there with it. Um, probably Bond, I would say, just because of the way that Sark is going to feed him. Uh, I think he's a more natural receiver than Worthy, not quite as fast. Um, but I think I like the way he attacks the ball. He's a better friend of the quarterback when the ball's in the air. Uh, I think he's got a chance to break out. But, you know, I don't even know that he's more talented than Matthew Golden, to be honest with you. So th those kind of cancel out. Trey Moore, I see him getting mentioned. Yeah, I don't know. He's going to have to. He's going to be at a timeshare too. I mean, that's the good thing. He's he's a great piece. They like him. He could end up at Buck or Sam. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to say. I probably lean towards Bond, but you know, when those two get side by side in spring, we might start hearing more about Matthew Golden. Golden is that talented. So tough call. They're all studs. Every every player they've landed so far is is very good, like a quality college starter. Uh, compare what they've lost to what they've gained. Uh, and we're, that's what we're talking about with the competition uh, improving competitions, improving the overall talent throughout the program. What in terms of in terms of being multiple, and this is this is something that Justin was really hitting on uh, when he and um, Joe's Flapjack were hitting this yesterday, talking about the opportunities that both Golden and Bond bring to to Sark in terms of being multiple, multiple. What do you see with that, Paul? And how does that manifest itself on the field? Just speed, speed, dynamism right. with the ball, right? There, there's two ways you can use speed. There's, there's speed once you get the ball. And that also has to do with your quickness, stop, start, all that kind of stuff. And there's also just speed that the kind that terrifies defensive coordinators, because ultimately if a guy can just run down the field and take the top off your defense, and even if you give cushion, he just eats it up and takes you. You have to adopt a completely different defensive and coverage philosophy. And, you know, pure speed. Now I'm talking about like talented football player speed, not a guy who just kind of is a track guy and runs and can't catch the ball or track it. But like real speed, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't, I kind of would like interested in Drew's thought on that. I just think that particularly as a, a safety or even a corner, it's a little scary to know that a guy can just leave you even if you do everything right. I, I think we're thinking about how it manifests itself on the field. And I keep thinking about how it's going to manifest this spring on the field. Um, all of these younger guys uh, that, that are planning to come into the season, they've gotten to see uh, Adonai Mitchell. They've gotten to see Xavier Worthy. They've gotten to see John, Jordan Whittington practice. They've gotten to see the standard that they brought. Uh, but when you have different energy, uh, these guys are coming in off of the port, out of the portal. They're coming in with a plan to play, with an expectation to start. They're coming in to compete. They're coming in to show that they want to be the best. And so before I can even think about the season, I'm just thinking about how much ego, bravado, alpha we're going to see in the spring and just how that's going to um, manifest itself to see who raises, uh, who, who rises to the top. Um, this is going to be impactful. I know – uh, and Quinn is going to need that coming into this season. I mean, he's losing his top four targets. 
on offense. Right. Uh, yeah. This is a critical position that that we that we that we need to develop this spring. Uh, so it's it's tough for me to even think about the season. I'm just excited to see uh, how Quinn's leadership manifests within this environment of competition amongst his receivers. Uh, it'll be an exciting season, and frankly, the fact that we have um, Arch Manning uh, should do really well for us. And in, in the in the just from the prospect of what if these guys leave? What's the threat of a wide receiver leaving? A younger guy who doesn't make the cut, he doesn't make it into the top four or five. Having an Arch Manning as the backup bona fide going into the spring and to the next season uh, puts us in a position where really all these guys have a lot to be excited about. The future is bright ahead, but if they can understand that they have to play to a standard uh, and that we brought in portal players to help drive that standard and drive that competition, uh, it's, it's really going to be exciting on the offensive side of the ball this offseason. We, we probably carry on. Oh, we sorry. Talk about Jonte Cook a little more because we're sitting here talking about Golden and, and Bond because they're exciting, shiny new toys. But uh, Jonte Cook's not going in spring thinking he's the number three wide receiver on the team. He's got the mindset to, to go and be number one. Uh, I think his goal is to make that slot receiver a lot more dynamic than what we saw, a much more of a vertical threat. I'm interested in seeing how those two, two receivers to the wide side of the field uh, play off each other because now you're not just tracking one speedster. They have to track two on that side. So to me, that's going to be pretty interesting. Don't don't Let's not sell uh, Jonte Cook uh, short. I think he has as much upside as the two wide receivers they just added. To carry on with what uh, Drew was talking about with the spring, this is a question for all three of you. Uh, Winter's three assets. Which player on the offense and the defensive side of the ball uh, could have the biggest spring? Or And maybe to add to that, which which player would you like to see have the biggest spring? Which one needs it the most right now? Well, I think Quinn's going to take another step. I think he's going to start uh, improving in the drop back game uh, a lot more and become a much more – much more like a quarterback you'd expect to see drafted in the first 15 picks, top 10 picks or so. Um, so, I, you know, him on offense, and I expect to see hear a lot about Dre Bledsoe. There's going to be a lot of guys that improve. Anthony Hill, as good as he was this year, is going to be a different player next year. And the, he, he, he improved at such an alarming rate. Uh, I think we're going to keep seeing that trajectory for him too. Malik Muhammad's not done improving. Some of those guys are just pure football players with a professional mindset. And so even when you think they're already good, they're going to hit a whole nother level. But for me, I think Quinn Ewers is going to be – one of the most improved, even though he's already good. And I think Jare Bledsoe is getting ready to take the next step as well. Same. We'll go to you, Drew. What, what, who do you want to see have a really good spring, either on the offense or the defensive side of the ball? I, I want to see us raise the standard at guards. For me, it's not even down to, to players. Okay, we can say Neto, Umiozulu, uh, but I want to see the guard play raise. Uh, wh whoever that combination comes comes with, I want to see some steps taken there. So I'd love to see some competition there. But if, if, if we roll out there with the, the same five minus Christian Jones and swapping that out for Cam Williams, I'm really hoping that that we're stronger at the guard position. Um, but also I'm ready to see, goodness, who the, the running backs this 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 this, this uh, spring. Uh, I want to see how they come into this spring knowing they're the guys competing um, and. I guess really from the offensive side of things, just how do they take those next steps? Uh, because they're, I don't know. I, I think our philosophy at running back when we went into the fall this year may have shifted toward the end of the season. And so I'm not sure how we valued um, the, the approach we took with our running game going into the off season. I, I don't know if we'll go, go that same route uh, coming out of the spring. So um, I'd like to see Jaden Blue in space a lot more and that be a more critical part of what we do and see how he works between the tackles and 
I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I can go and go along with defense all day, but th that's really where I'm looking at the guard positions. And, and I'd like to see our running backs take a, take another step um, so that we can just solidify that position going into next season. Cause I do believe everywhere else uh, I feel strongly about. Paul, same question to you. We're, we're, we're getting into springtime. What do you, what do you want to see? Who do you want to see really up their game? Cosign to everything Eric and, and Drew said, uh, I'll introduce a couple of ones that weren't because of their potential to unlock a different approach on defense, particularly against higher order passing games, which you're going to have to be able to defend in the playoffs, which should be our aspiration, uh, not just next year, but every year going forward. And that is Andrew Makuba and Derek Williams. If these guys can play safety and transform not just the athleticism position, but also bring some experience and some versatility there, I think that's going to unlock some stuff that we can do in the secondary where we're not going to be as predictable, uh, where our coverages can be a little bit more multiple. And I think we can range in how we play certain coverages. And, and so I know people always sort of use aggression as always good and anything bad as passive. But the truth is, you know, Michigan played off coverage against Washington for the most part very aggressively. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's ways to mix and match those sorts of things. And, and that's the beauty of having good safety play, very reliable safety play, like the true meaning of the word, it's your safety, uh, that you, you just don't bleed those big plays. And that's why ultimately Michigan won the national title. You know, Washington couldn't find those big plays that they dialed up with regularity, partly because those safeties for Michigan allowed certain coverages and certain schemes. So I hate to keep going back to that game, but I think it sets a standard for what our, our secondary play needs to look at evolving to both from a player standpoint, but also frankly, from a coaching standpoint. Let, one of the things that sparked a lot of conversation in the chat was Drew's talk about the running back room. And I think I'd like to, th there's been a lot of questions on this, but this one kind of, kind of, Covers the whole of it. I, it's about blue specifically in the running back rotation, but but I think that speaks to the entire running back rotation as a whole. What are you What are you seeing there? What Let's talk about Gibson first. I think uh, that's the question that Rick is asking about. But I'd love to talk about the room. This seems to be a strength for us. We had some concern going into last season. Now this is a strength for us. What are we feeling about the room? Where do we see this going into the next season? I'd love to hear from all of you on this. Oh, uh, no. So I, I'm a, I'm an unabashed Jaden Blue fan. I, I think yep. he's incredibly talented, and I've gone 180 on that guy. I'll be honest. When he came, there were some things I'd, I'd heard and things I'd seen and some of his actions that I thought, all right, well, I kind of know how this goes, but I, I can see the talent. Um, we'll, we'll see early, you know, either it's up or out, right? Well, he went up. He chose up. And uh, I, I am tantalized by his ability not only because of his speed and his ability in space, as Drew alluded to, he's a good pass catcher and he runs hard. He runs tough. Yeah. Uh, not a big dude, but he gets in there. And, uh, you know, I, I, we're not, we have a running back coach who will not allow anything but that. And if you guys will go way back to last spring, if you'll remember some of the dying embers of that spring game was to shard choice clearly telling Jaden Blue, I don't care if you see something outside. 
These next three, five runs, you are going to run inside. And Blue took that and actually ran hard on a goal line play and scored, right? Uh, there's a growth in him that I'm seeing that I find very exciting. Uh, Baxter, obviously, raw clay. He needs to have a great year putting on some weight, getting strong. Will durability come with that? Typically, it does for a running back. But, you know, to be Mr. Cliche here, durability is an ability, right? Uh, I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, I'm having a tough, tough weekend. I hope all of you can appreciate that. But Emmett Smith, as much as I love Emmett, was he the greatest pure runner in the game no. at any given time? Probably not. He's also out there every single day. And durability is an ability. And, uh, you know, I, I think the more that Mr. Baxter can embody that, and I think a good offseason will be part of that, then the more he'll he'll shine. But I love that room. I didn't even mention Trey, Trey Wisner. <laughs> so right. I, I just love these guys. I like the guys coming in. As for, as for uh, is it Jared Gibson? Yep. Uh, I mean, he just seems like a, a high volume, like run maximizer, like this dude who just wears on you all game. Right. And then, and then, you know, Clark is a nice compliment of, of sort of untapped potential. And, and also all these guys, by the way, can catch, which I really like. So that seems to be a Sark prerequisite nowadays. Anything you'd like to add to that, Drew? I know you kind of hit on this, obviously, a little bit earlier in the podcast or the cast rather. But is there anything that you would like to add about that room specifically? No, no, I'm, I'm with Paul. <laughs> I, I, I'd heard some things. I mean, even here in Houston, I mean, you hear about Jaden Blue coming out of high school. Um, usually these guys um, that, that tend to appear to have some challenges, uh, they don't necessarily shine later. Uh, but if you recall over the last year, I mean, Sark has stuck by his side. Z Sark right. has, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, or Sark has just seen what he can add value to. Um, but but Jaden Blue has had Sark singing his praises even long before he touched the field. Um, just in every in, in the spring and in the fall. I mean, he it was almost as if he knew at some point he would have to lean on him. So um, I, f I feel one thing I can tell most people who are just always wondering if they could if they should take what Sark says as a grain of salt. Um, frankly, I, I can't say that at all, especially with the way Jaden Blue showed up when he did, uh, and and with he and and, and Cedric Baxter as as well as some with experienced talent coming back along with just some more wild cards that we have coming into the mix, I feel really good about the room coming to the spring. Yeah, I love the room too. Um, you know, <clears throat> Blue's acceleration is unheard of. It's, uh, you know, he can go from zero to 60 in, a, in the blink of an eye. He'll get he'll get bogged down, find space, and get up to speed in a hurry. He had about three or four runs this year that were an ankle tackle away from going for 50 or 60. You know, I, I expect next year to be his last year. I think he's going to be that good. Uh, I'm still very big on Cedric ba on CJ Baxter. He does need a, a good offseason, put on weight. Um, you know, his balls haven't quite dropped yet. I think that's going to happen. I think Tashard Choice is the is the coach to to help him with that. Love Weisner as well. Uh, Paul Nail, Jarrett Gibson. He's a volume back. My favorite thing about him is he's always looking to get downhill. Even when he bounces, he's trying to get downhill as quickly as possible. Uh, I don't think he's great in any one regard necessarily. Uh, but I think he's good in a lot of them. He's a very physical, uh, very physically mature player. He's, he'll be able to play next year if they need it. Uh, Christian Clark's going to be on a little bit of a longer curve than anybody else, but I think he's got about as much height, as much upside as any of the running backs they have. Uh, so they're they're in an enviable spot next season. And you know what? They're going to bring in two more right behind them. So uh, that's another one. They just you know keep churning these guys out. The best ones are going to play. 
um, and they'll keep making room for more. And they'll probably be a lot, you know, they're not done with three-year players. You know, they've had, they had Bijan, Bijan went pro as well. Uh, you had Jonathan Brooks go, go pro after three. And I think blue's going to be the next one. One of our, uh, one of our favorites, Mr. Williams is asking about Makuba and his, well, may, basically stating he thinks Makuba is going to start at free safety next to Derek Williams. Um, what are your thoughts on some of these new guys coming in? Which, which one of the newer class in the secondary has the best opportunity to get on the field earliest? Well, right now, safety would be if they had practice tomorrow. I think you would have uh, Taft next to uh, next to Derek Williams, and then you're going to have Prime Akuba is going to win a job, and then they're probably going to move somebody over to compete with Taft, probably Williams. So they're, they're going to move it around. Uh, but right now, your top two at boundary would be Taft and Jelani McDonald at free safety would be Williams and then Makuba. But you know that's kind of meaningless. But it is kind of interesting to see how they see it as of right now. I think. Uh, what was the question uh, after that? Well, it was just more of a statement. Mr. Williams wanted to know about the, you know, who you thought might get to the field earliest in that group of people. Phil Samay was thrown out there as well. What are your thoughts on on the young guys coming in? I don't know. I don't know how soon Phil Samay is going to be ready. I don't know that he's going to be quite as ready as Derek Williams. But of course, he's getting into school a lot earlier than Williams. Williams was a summer arrival. So it was amazing that he got on the field as quickly as he did. Um, I think the top four are going to be Taft, McDonald. Uh, Makuba and and Williams and you know it's, it's going to shake out differently than that probably but I think they you know this is one thing I wanted to ask Paul and, and Drew about if they go to cover one which safety right. do you like in each spot because you're going to have your deep guy um, who Paul alluded to the word safety is there for a reason you want a guy that's not going to bust back there which which is Taft but then Taft might not have the greatest range so I'm interested in who Paul and Drew want back there uh, one as your your deep safety and one as your uh, your robber from a from a range perspective, well, well, do I think Taft would have the best range of them all? No, but I think he he has a great floor as far as range goes from, from a free safety standpoint, uh, just because of his understanding of the game and ability to to to, to close range uh, when the ball is when the ball is in the air. So um, I appreciate the floor he brings, but uh, some of the other players they're they're a bit of unknowns. Um, I, I want to see us go to more man coverage. I'm really hoping we get. Jawar Muhammad. Um, I'm just uh, that. That's just me. I, I saw this guy. The way he played our receivers, uh, you rarely saw him in a trail position where he's chasing a receiver from behind to cover them. He was always in control, so he's either covering the receiver, receiver from being on top, or he was able to close down. Uh, you just always want to see your DBs in a position of control where they can actually make a play. Whether that's just make the tackle soundly, whether they can close down and break up the play or force a fumble after the player catches catches the ball. You just have to be in position to do that. And honestly, far too often, our players were not always in position to make the plays. Uh, uh, so I'm hoping that standard gets raised, and, and, and hopefully uh, this, this offseason or, or this spring, uh, guys like that can help elevate the standard. Hopefully Warren Roberson uh, comes in uh, this spring ready to compete for a spot. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the roster is wide open, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They are, I see they it every live stream. They are pretty high on Warren Roberson, so that, I'm glad you mentioned him. They are high on him. I'm telling you, man, um, I really think it's going to be open for, for these guys to really compete. So I'm excited about that side of the ball, especially because they're going to get some really, really hungry receivers on the other side. Yeah, I, I would just add that we're going to find out. This is why we have spring practice. Like, we're going to go – like, it's not all theory, Right. We're going to go try the different guys in this role. Uh, the other comment I'd add is part of range is recognition. Right. Right. So 
you can have all sorts of ranginess, but if you don't see it, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, you know, Keaton Crawford, very good athlete, didn't always see it. So, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, also, Taff is a better athlete than than people think. Uh, like, I, yeah. we're, we're going to do a whole show on that someday. I love <laughs> I love Drew's input on what's that about and how people perceive him. But uh, if you actually watch him play, uh, he's a better yeah. athlete. He's a player, than man. Is perceived. They keep they keep flipping him in every time they mention Jaron Thompson. They'll throw in Taff too, like you know, guilt by association. I don't, I don't get. It. I mean, I do get it. I understand yeah. where it's coming from. How many times did Taft get beat over the top? He had one that was a questionable PI, I think, in the end zone on like a 20 or 30-yard pass, and that's it the entire season. He was getting blamed for every every DB that got burnt in cover four. It's ridiculous. They he stayed on the field. Yeah, he was he's got a he's got to play against Baylor when he comes from the opposite side of the field and smacks the guy coming downhill. Downhill he went around in a, in a full semicircle and smacked the guy coming downhill. He probably ran 60 yards on that play. Um, he's a much better athlete than he's given credit for. Maybe you don't want him locked up in man, but he's really not going to get beat all that much, again, because he processes quickly. He's always in position to make the plays we need him to make. And, and that's that's what you need from your literal safety. He's a safety. Yeah. <laughs> he has to be in a safe place <laughs> to make the play. Hey, it's, it's, a, it's a little like the, the Cody Schrader phenomenon at Missouri. When he transferred there, and you're hearing this is a Division II uh, running back who doesn't always look like other running backs, let's say. Yeah. Uh, Missouri fans were in revolt, like, oh, my God, what are we doing? And then after, like, the second game, they're like, oh, my God, yes, yeah. thank he's you. Built, he's built like Barney Rubble. I, I, I didn't see it either. <laughs> keeping the uh, keeping the uh, season alive, going moving forward with the idea of our kicker and our punter for 24, what do we – this seems to be a, uh, a topic that no one but Ski Breck is concerned about, so I wanted to make sure that he got a shout-out here. Who is going to be our kicker and our punter in 24? And will Arch, is he going to risk hurting a finger by holding? Well, I mean, why would they change kickers? Bert Auburn was awesome. I don't I don't understand. Yeah, I feel Bert, like Bert was great. And you know what? That's you talk about a player rebounding that you kind of lost hope in, like Jaden Blue did. Bert kind of had that issue as a kicker. You miss a couple as a kicker, and you, you worry that you might lose them for the season. Uh, like Chuck Knob Chuck Knobloch throwing from second to first base. He just starts throwing it all over the place. Uh, but he he rebounded. Uh, amazingly well. Uh, Burt's made some huge kicks for Texas. So, I, you know, I, nobody's beating out Burt. Um, Putter's going to be Michael Kern, the uh, highly rated <laughs> putter they're bringing in from uh, Florida, who's an early enrollee. So they're going to they're going to get get a good eye on him. And then if they think they need a punter after that, they can they can go get somebody, you know, in the spring, I guess, whatever. But I, I don't know, man. That's probably the least thing I ever ask about. But yeah, you're not going to replace Auburn. You got Michael Kern coming in. It's a scholarship punter. You expect to get as much out of him. They're not going with the the Aussie that has to figure out uh, American football for the first season that has a terrible, terrible go. Uh, so uh, you know, you like that Michael Kern has experience as a uh, as an American football player. But I don't have a whole lot uh, beyond that. You know, kids all leg. That's all I know. The uh, the last few days have been pretty momentous. We talked about that at the top of the show, bringing back. The legend that is Akina. We've obviously had some uh, amazing additions in the transfer portal. This has been a uh, a pretty crazy time, if we're being honest, just with what's been going on in a very short period of time. Now we've got some coaching changes, which extends the transfer portal for some of those players at Arizona and Washington. So moving forward, Eric, I know this is an incredibly uh, daunting question for you, but what are you looking for? What are you keeping an eye out for in the week ahead? 
Well, as you know, somebody's mentioning Troy Caesar over here is asking about DeAndre Robinson. Is he going to show up or what? Um, is Texas going to get a defensive tackles coach? You're going to you're going to have to get one of him to have a, a chance of getting DeAndre on campus. Um, is, is Sark going to let him out of his letter of intent? Sark would because it's bad press to not do it. I mean, it's it's how he got uh, Xavier Worthy in the first place. Um, so is he going to show up? Are they going to have a coach in place? That's a big one. Uh, you know, finish seeing how these recruitments end up. Whether, you know, which tight end are they going to end up with? I think they are going to get one, assuming Nye Black does follow through and go in. Uh, you know, Jabbar is a big one. We've, we've talked about him a lot. Basically, if you're excited about Jabbar, Malik Muhammad is just a bigger version of Jabbar. And that's why Malik is probably going to be a three-year player or, or an early-round draft pick when he does go. Um, so Jabbar is a priority. Are they going to be able to get them? Just seeing how they're going to close these out. And and really, I'm, I'm just sitting back mesmerized seeing how the – how the dominoes are falling just from Nick Saban because there's not much else going on outside of the, the, the downward effects of the Nick Saban departure. We're all seeing in real time uh, how one departure can start this domino effect elsewhere. You know, I was asked about um, what coaches Texas might lose, you know, a week or two ago. I said, you know, I don't know because it does, it depends on, on who gets hired elsewhere. You could be three, three, three jobs removed from the one that started it all and, and pay the price for losing it. Um, you know, the Arizona didn't think they were losing Jed Fish because Nick Saban retired, but that's exactly what happened. Right. Anything for you, Paul? Is there anything in particular? Obviously, we've Muhammad's a big one. Is there anything this week that you're looking for in particular? Some some tea leaves that you're you're hoping to be able to read? Yeah, I read some tea leaves yesterday. I, I willed into existence oh, that Jed Fish was going to take the Washington job, and <laughs> my uh, my crush on Tateroa McMillan is is still waiting to be fulfilled. I'm hoping he goes in the portal and we can find a way to persuade him and uh, get, uh, you know, an NFL first round draft pick wide receiver out there running around. That'd be, that would be nice uh, despite the resistance of Texas fans. But uh, I, I think the other thing I would circle back on uh, and to, to throw out that I think the Nansen thing is not without some credibility potentially for Arizona. And, and here's why they're broke. They, they may not be able to hire a quote-unquote proper coach, uh, and they may have to take a shot on someone that they see the potential in. And then the question is, would Nansen take that sort of on the cheap, so to speak? Uh, we're talking about a $4 million a year contract, so right. let's keep that uh, in perspective. But, you know, I think Texas fans should hope Brent Brennan, the head coach at San Jose State, is the guy that Arizona wants and they're able to give him what he needs. Um, San Jose state, not necessarily a destination job. So you'd think that they could put something together there. The other part I'd reinforce sort of big picture macro thing. You saw what used to be two comparable PAC, PAC 12 brethren programs, right? Washington simply by being in the big 10 can pay $8 million a year. Okay. I know I beat this to death when this happened and when Texas went to the SEC. And I'm not trying to devalue the other teams or the other conferences. There's two conferences that matter now. And I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy. But if you're not in the Big Ten in the SEC, your players are going to always going to get poached. Your coaches are always going to get poached. That's just how it's going to be. Doesn't mean the Big 12 is not going to play good, entertaining football. Doesn't mean I think like two thirds of the teams in the Big 12 can win the league next year. Uh, and same with, you know, the ACC. I'm not suggesting there aren't one offs, Florida State, Clemson, et cetera, Notre Dame. But the point is, there's this things aren't getting closer, things are getting further apart. 
And when you see the market forces act, it's not my opinion anymore, right? It's it's right. just reality. The minute Washington was over, I was able to say with confidence, Jed Fish is going to be who they go get. And they went and got Jed Fish, even though their program, Washington, is going to be in ruins and rebuild for a couple of years. So what? this is the new reality. And we all have to kind of get used to it because things things are going to come at you fast. And keeping in that vein now, what obviously the one coach that didn't get mentioned was Harbaugh. So is there any speculation? I mean, just completely unwarranted, wild speculation that you'd like to make if if Harbaugh goes. What does that look like? I'm not sure how unwarranted or wild that would be. Um, Harbaugh gets to sit back and there are multiple NFL jobs open. I think I read this morning he's interviewing with the Chargers. So Paul wrote a great piece um, yesterday, Paul. Just we're in position where we just get to sit back and watch all of the other dominoes fall and and figure out if there are staff, if there are players, if there's anyone or any talent or anything just that can add value to our program. So um, we're right where we want to be. So, yeah, I want to see the the Harbaugh domino fall just because I get to sit back and watch it and see if there is an advantage for us. So, yeah, I want all the dominoes to fall. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, chaos does well when you're you're living under order. You know, um, do they go Sharon Moore? I mean, that's uh, that that's the guy that's going to be the leader in the clubhouse in the locker room, but also you know a guy that's highly highly thought of. Um, you know, I first heard of Sharon Moore studying Charlie Strong's uh, coaching roster in 2013, and then I found out he's only 37. So uh, he's kind of like a Doogie Howser of coaches, assuming that age I saw was right. Uh, so he's highly thought of. There was a lot of. Uh, uh, Brian Kelly rumors that if Harbaugh left, but you kind of knew that I always suspected that was kind of foolish, uh, especially if they if he went and got Bo Davis. You, that's not a move you make right before you leave. So, uh, but it, it, a lot of people think that Harbaugh is going to leave uh, and get that San Diego job. I've heard it. I heard it today. I don't know. You know, we'll see what it goes uh, if it goes down. It, it seems like the timing is right for him to leave. He got his he got his national championship. Um, he doesn't have to. He can distance himself from the the scandal he created. Um, but, I, yeah, I think Sharon Moore would get it. They'd have a seamless transition and help keep that roster together as much as they can. They're suffering significant losses, so they need to they need to tourniquet on that, and I think Sharon Moore would probably be the guy. That's excellent. And we wanted to, uh, once again, just remind everybody, this is, um, this is all coming from the Brain Trust at Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com. So please, obviously, like and subscribe to this, but all of the information that we've been talking about today, we go in depth in the on the board, on the website. It's a great community of folks. We really invite you to please join us there. Check it out and let us earn your business. It's a dollar for the first month. We really, uh, really give you very little excuse not to check us out. We want to thank you for your time. We want to thank, obviously, Joe at Joe's Flapjack for offering us the uh, the opportunity to work with you today, and we wish you all the very best moving forward. Thank you so very much for spending your time with us today. Hook them. We'll see you guys later. Hey.